0: Hey baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.
1: This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the
2: Athletic Podcast Network. You're in. And welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's
1: why you're going in the Hall of Fame. Hits inside the park home run, Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs>
2: Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the athletic and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville.
1: Yeah. So Doug, how the heck are you? Happy spring training. Uh, Very excited. It's in the air. It's in the air. East Coast, 50 degrees. Sun's out. I mean, this is baseball. This is baseball's time. I'm ready.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, look, we're really excited about this week's show. Uh, Jenny Kavnar, who is about to make history as the lead play-by-play broadcaster for the A's, is going to join us. Uh, Jenny is the best. That'll be great. Uh, We have another Doug Glanville classic coming up uh, in the dugout segment on what's really going on beneath the headlines in spring training. You don't want to miss that. And of course, there's trivia. If you think you know everything there is to know about the 500-Homer Club,
1: ha, <laughs>
2: stay with us because I'm guessing this question will prove that we definitely don't. <laughs> but first, uh, I, I don't want to rub this in or anything, but Doug, I'm in Florida and... From what I can gather, you're in your car so you're not. <laughs> okay. So so just checking on how jealous that makes you.
1: Yeah, well, especially when I'm seeing piles of snow out here. It is 50 degrees, but the snow hasn't melted. So yeah, yeah. I'm not really feeling that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. Uh I also want to mention uh I just spent an entertaining couple of days in the Blue Jays camp uh talking to those guys about their imaginary teammate. Shohei Ohtani and, and then I wrote a really fun crazy piece about it that you can find in The Athletic uh, it's called something the effect of the day the Blue Jays signed Ohtani except obviously no they didn't so Doug I, just, I have to tell you this story alright so these guys told me so many tremendous stories about that day in December when the rumors about Ohtani and the Blue Jays were spreading <laughs> the private plane was winging toward I- Toronto from Orange County. <laughs> here, here is the best story. Okay, this was the same weekend as Alec Manoa's destination wedding in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so he's got ten of his teammates there, and as he's walking down the aisle, he stops and turns to these guys and says, "Hey, what's up, boys? Damn." we didn't get otani he's walking down the aisle to get married <laughs> okay so if i had done that walking down the aisle at my wedding i'm not sure how that would have
1: gone over with my
2: wife how about you
1: yeah that yeah you got to have to do that in in code or through telepathy <laughs> or something else but it can't come out of your mouth it just can't uh yeah my, I, I don't think there'd be a my wife's fan club on that one but uh hey he beats to his own drum that's what makes him special you know yeah
2: yeah. I I mean again I don't know I didn't ask him how his wife took it I was pretty happy he told me that story (laughs) (laughs) and and it was it was really fun to tell the entire story like from all of their perspectives of that day and change so check it out on The Athletic if you get a chance
1: I love it love to
2: alright it's time to welcome in this week's special visitor to Starkville, one of our favorite people in baseball, the new lead play-by-play voice of the Oakland A's. It's the great Jenny Kavnar. Jenny, welcome to Starkville.
3: Ah, I'm so happy to be on Starkville. I listen to Starkville all the time and now I'm on it. This is a this is a day for me.
2: It's a day for us, too. Uh, For everyone who may have missed this news, uh, the A's announced, what was it, two weeks ago? Yeah. Yep, Jenny was going to be their primary TV play-by-play voice this season on NBC Sports Bay Area. And that is so cool, and it's so well-deserved, but it's also uh, so historic, because it means Jenny is the first woman ever to have that job as the lead TV play-by-play person for any major league team. So, Jenny, first off, wow. <laughs> Second. <laughs> congratulations. And, and and third, what have the last couple of weeks been like for you?
3: Oh my goodness. I wake up every morning saying, wow, is this real? Is this happening? Yeah. Um. It has been a whirlwind of two weeks. And really, I, I go back, it's been a whirlwind of about 10 weeks because I found out right before the holidays that I got this job. And then it was lock and key secret for like two months. They were waiting for the mm. Niners to get through a Super Bowl run, perhaps. <laughs> and obviously, mm. that didn't end the way the Niners wanted. But um, you know, we kind of locked in the announcement would come mid-February. So I've, been, I ha- I've had a lot of time to think about this and process this. And um, I'm just so honored. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so humbled by the responses I've gotten, um, you know, from friends and family, first and foremost, obviously. But the baseball community, I mean, the amount of people that have reached out, whether it is, you know, players, former players I've had on the Padres or the Rockies or guys I've known through the league, managers, front office people, um, my colleagues in broadcasting, it's really just been um, overwhelming. I feel like I'm very welcomed into this circle of being one of the lead announcers. And um, it's also to, to the historic point, and I'm sure we'll get more into this, but um it's been something that's just, it's not lost on me. You know, this has happened before in 2018, when I called my first game for the Rockies, Um, there was a historic mark there. And I think as time has moved on, we've seen Melanie Newman calling games for the Baltimore Orioles. We've seen Beth Mullins in the booth uh, backing up Boog in Chicago. I've got a backup Drew Goodman in, in Colorado. And so I think the movement is just progressing, and this can be another marker. But it always reminds us that a first just means it's not going to be a last, and that is what I think is so exciting about it.
2: Yeah, that's so well said. Now you, just, you kind of zipped through all those people you heard from, but
3: oh goodness, um,
2: you, 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 who who do you think is the coolest,
3: the coolest,
2: or most surprising person that you heard from, or the person who would impress us the
3: most? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I, let's just start with the go, Billie Jean King. I mean, if you're getting a tweet oh, from yeah, her, you, you know, pretty good on it. your day. So that that <laughs> was like, wow. Um, I think for me, like Larry Walker texting me and congratulating me was pretty cool because Larry was my favorite player growing up. And I've had the chance to get to know Larry professionally. And obviously when he went in the Hall of Fame, went to Cooperstown for that. So developed a special relationship, which was great. Um, I had a very cool video message from three of my favorite players ever who are all working in the Twins organization now. And when they got down to spring training, Michael Kodair, LaTroy hock sent me this incredible video. And it just, it overwhelms you because... You know the impact that players can make on your life and your career, but sometimes I don't think we always realize and understand the reciprocation of that. And so it was just really special um, to hear from them. Trevor Hoffman reached out. I had Trevor way early in his career. Chris Young, Will Venable, like all these old Padres and, um, you know, coaches (laughs) and I I got to have a really cool conversation with Bud Black. And, you know, this has been something that Buddy and I have had a relationship my entire career. He was the manager of the Padres the five years I was there. He ended up being the manager of the Rockies the last seven years I was there. And I, I called him early to let him know um, that, that this was coming. And I was like, buddy, I have to break up with you again. Like <laughs> I'm moving on to another team. And I think this is actually the final. I don't think you're going to end up like coming over <laughs> to a team I'm covering again as time's probably winding down for him and his managerial career. But he's meant so much to me and just building that relationship with a manager, understanding baseball, being able to talk baseball, um, and so, you know, just just being able to share these moments with people like that it means a lot.
2: Great. And then you did the Today Show. Oh, gosh, studio.
3: Guys, come on. Really? Come yeah. on. I, it yeah. was like <laughs> it, it was just this whirlwind. So to take you back, the announcement was supposed to happen on the 14th. And they ended up pushing it up a day since the Niners did end up losing the Super Bowl. So they announced it on the 13th. Well, I already had on my schedule that I was going to be calling the Warriors game, the Warriors Clippers game on Wednesday. So I was going to be in San Francisco anyways. Well, this was the very first time I've called an NBA game. I've called a lot of college basketball. First time I'm calling an NBA game and on radio, Uh, like, radio is a whole different game than television, as you know, for play by play. So I was so focused on that game. And then all of this stuff is coming out of the announcement. And then as we're about to go on air to do the game, my agents texting me like, I got to switch your flight. The Today Show wants you in New York. You can't go back to Denver. You're coming here. We got to get that taken care of. And I'm just like, what's going on? So by the time I ended up getting in New York, it was like, after midnight, it was almost one a.m. on Friday morning, and then you know they pick you up in a car at like six thirty, and then I was at the Today Show, and then I was like back on a plane, and it you know it, it takes you a while to be like, did that just happen? because that real? Like I met Hoda, right? I have pictures, I have proof. And she is every ounce of joy and it like you know giving you girl power walking in the door mm-hmm. as you can imagine like what she is on TV is she's even more in real life and um, she just left me with so much energy and I was so grateful to have that time with her and meet her and you know, obviously share our story on the Today Show, but also like Carson Daly. I don't, I don't know if you caught the end of it, but Carson did a surprise visit because um, <laughs> my very first television appearance ever in my life was 1999 in New York City. I was visiting for high school and I got a request a video on Total Request Live, TRL on MTV, if you remember <laughs> oh, that gosh. show. Oh, yeah. And we have this huge sign and I found the picture of it. So they showed it on the Today Show. I have this huge sign and we're asking Carson if we can come up and meet it. so he came out at the end of the segment surprised me and he said it's been 25 years i've been waiting for you to come up like where have you been so that was pretty cool that was was a fun ending to to the whole trip
2: so good
1: oh wow well i mean jenny it's you know especially in the pioneering chair it can be a little tricky to find like the mentors right the examples uh how about professionally i I guess who have you looked to to inspire you learn your your craft and, and i guess who do you hope to continue to pass it on
3: yeah, that's such a great question. I think this this time I've been able to like spread that love, hopefully. And I hope she feels it. I know she feels it, but Susan Waldman, who's been doing this for so long. Um, she had zero examples like she pioneered a way in broadcasting a game in the radio booth and she's obviously done television over the course of her career and when I called that game in 2018 she's one of the first people I heard from and um, she gave me encouragement she said you know keep going at it every time I saw her it was like you're gonna do this keep moving and so I think she's been a very valuable voice and example for me in my career but you know I, I really have to give credit to uh, the Rockies producer Allison B Hill. She's one of the first people that ever saw this this new career path for me. I, I didn't seek out to be a play by play person when I went into sports broadcasting, um, or growing up as a kid, I didn't, you know, have that desire. And so it was really her in about twenty, you know, 16, 17, starting to plant the seed for me. And then finally in 2018 saying like, we're going to do, we're going to be here. We're going to figure it out. We're all going to make it happen. And then Ryan Spielberg, Corey Sullivan, former players turn analyst, Jeff Houston that I worked with on Rockies TV, being such great champions of of really encouraging me and like continuing with it, um, helping me figure out the way. And so I I really do credit a lot of those people, but um, I think, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't look back. At where it all began. I, I grew up listening to Drew Goodman call play-by-play. I mean, he was the voice of the Nuggets when I was a kid and then moved into the Rockies chair and then obviously getting to work with him later. Um, so I feel like I've learned a lot from Drew. Matt Baskirgin was the first play-by-play person in baseball I ever worked on a team with and learned a lot from him and continue to learn a lot from watching him. Kevin Burkhart's a good friend. I learn a lot from him and have a lot of conversations with him. Um, you know, I think throughout the league, there's been a lot of different males that have encouraged my pathway and just given me any advice or taken time when I've needed it. So I feel like I've found it in female and male colleagues alike. And I, I think that's pretty cool and pretty special.
2: You know, I want to make sure that we give you a chance to tell your story to people who don't know it, because it's not like you woke up two weeks ago and you decided, <laughs> hey, being a baseball announcer would be a cool job. I should you apply for that
3: much... on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah doesn't work excellent that way. <laughs> idea.
2: It always works. Uh, but the truth is, you were pretty much born into baseball. So yeah. how long would you say that baseball has been a big part of your life?
3: I mean, ever since I can remember. My dad is a longtime high school baseball coach. He's in the Colorado High School Hall of Fame. And so we really grew up going to all of his games and, you know, in the summertime, um, my mom, you know, she obviously worked as well. So we had the chance to go to the field with my dad and, you know, we I brought a lot of activities and it was like, you can hang out here in the dirt or the dugout and play those activities <laughs> or you can grab a glove and you, you can go participate in the camps we're running. And then you can, you know, take the ticket money later for the summer tournaments or go work in the snack shack. Or It was like a full family operation at the field, learning to keep score there. Um, learning to second guess my dad's decisions on a big game, whether they won or
1: lost.
3: <laughs> I was pretty good at that at the dinner table. Maybe that's what I knew I'd be a good reporter. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of always around. Um, I eventually you know, started playing my own sports. I played softball competitively. I played basketball. I played lacrosse. I uh, started that a bit later in life, and I ended up playing lacrosse in college at Colorado State. Um I just think sports has always been around and it's been, you it know such a huge part of our family on so many levels, but, um, you, just watching, I think two parents that worked really hard and also made an amazing amount of time for my brother and I to find the activities we want and to succeed. Like I'd be nowhere without those examples. And, you know, especially my mom being a working mom, I think, as I've gotten older, For example, like set so much of the stage for me that, you know, you can work and you can have a family and you can blend them together and make that work. So I'm really grateful for all of that. But, you know, it just continued with that encouragement from them of saying, like, you can do anything. And I think that is like from parents, those words are from a coach that means so much to you. Like it sounds so simple, but it really does like live inside of you of getting you over the hump and certain things in your life. And so I think for me, when I looked at a television and saw Melissa Stark on Monday Night Football doing sideline reporting, I was like, "Dad, that's what I want to do. And he's like, yeah, I can see you doing that. We don't know how hard this is, this broadcasting thing. Um, But that was kind of the beginning uh, and a foundation of just saying, yeah, go for it. Go for your dream. Shoot the moon kind of thing. And so um, you know, I, I went to Colorado State, got a great um life education there in terms of broadcasting, was able to work on the Colorado State Sports Network that did the football and basketball games. And um it just kind of progressed from there. But um I didn't fall into baseball broadcasting because I was pursuing it. I really did fall into it by chance. I, I went after mm-hmm. the college football jobs, the, you know, um, local jobs, like anything that, um, you know, was available and, and anything that I saw in representation of women on TV doing sports, um, that I kind of learned growing up. Regional sports television was in the infancy when I was a kid and there weren't a lot of women on it. So it, it really wasn't mirrored that that's something I should go after, even though I've grown up my whole life in baseball. Um, a chance meeting in 2007 when the Padres had an opening was was really the time I was hired. and, and honestly, I just thought like, oh, this is cool. this will be a fun season. <laughs> I didn't really turn into <laughs> 17 seasons and um, a lifelong dream of really you know fulfilling a passion that I had. I, like I'll remember the, the first game I did, I, I got hired a little bit after the season had started as a pre and post game reporter for the Padres initially in 07. So I'm on the field. It's a Padres Dodgers game and I'm about to do my hit and it just hit me square in the face. Like I looked around the crowd, the excitement. And I was like, I was made to do this. Like I was made (laughs) to be at a baseball field. I know this. I know how to be here. I know how to do this. Um, and then, you know, it's just that love and passion of baseball broadcasting grew from that moment. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now.
0: Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call one 800 direct TV.
2: Terms or restrictions apply. Hey, just the fact that you were inspired by a Stark is cool to me. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. Tony <laughs> Stark.
3: Yeah, I'm no, sure Game you guys are related <laughs> on, on some level <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. genealogy. The, uh, <laughs>
2: the two of us and Tony Stark. Yes. And, uh, uh, Game of, uh, <laughs> Game of <laughs> Thrones,
1: man. Game of Thrones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you so, you know, the other part of this, though, too, is I, I know you've got a family that gets it. Your husband, Steve, was a professional baseball player. Uh, Doug and I know how important that is firsthand.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, like, is it even possible to do this job, to, to work in baseball, without having a family that understands oh, and supports man. what's a very unusual lifestyle. No,
3: it is. It's a very unusual lifestyle, and um, you know, I I was already in it when I met my husband, and he did. He played professional baseball in the White Sox organization, and when he was done, like any smart former ball player, he just moved to Southern California to surf all the time. <laughs> and um, we actually met through Will Venable, who was playing for the Padres at the time. Wow. Steve and him had a prior relationship, and. Uh, his wife Catherine sat with Steve at a baseball game and called me after, and she's like, "I don't even know Will's friend, but I asked Will if it was cool to introduce you guys because <laughs> I just thought <laughs> about you." So, so she set us up, and you know, we took off dating, and shortly after, I got the job in Colorado, and so I had to like take away his surf in the water dreams and tell him it's going to be a little colder to surf on a mountain, but if you want to <laughs> come, that's where I'm going, and he came, and so um, you know, we eventually got married, but. I, I, I think that first year in Colorado when I started traveling more and doing more um you know games away from home, it it very, very quickly I, I realized how much he understood our lifestyle and how that was going to benefit our marriage and our relationship moving forward and especially once we started having kids. I'm so grateful for his support. And um it, you know, it's not just him, it's my parents, it's my in-laws, like everyone is is on board with this. And it's so funny. Um, Jason and Doug, because I felt like a teenager taking this job, I had to like call my parents and ask permission because I knew <laughs> it meant they were gonna be working really hard with my own children all summer long when I was gone. And you know, right away, of, of course they said yes, and it's it's challenging and it's difficult and it's not easy at times and you know, your kids miss you and you miss your kids. But I think at the end of the day when you make these decisions, it's so worth it for me to know that, they're they're watching mom live out a dream and and dad you know my husband's a firefighter and it's very challenging his schedule and so we are like a rubik's cube. we're not even like fitting puzzle pieces together we're constantly doing a rubik's cube of scheduling but they see us go to work and it's not work right it's a passion for us and when we're home we try to really be present be home and that's always difficult to be where your feet are but that's kind of our family motto and that's That's kind of how we try to try to live it out. Um, But yeah, it takes, it really does take a village. And honestly, I think um, when you look at the path of, of a lot of uh, up to this point, it's been all males doing play by play for a team. The common thread is they often have someone at home, typically a loving wife that is caring for the children and caring for a lot of the day-to-day needs that it takes to put your whole focus onto this job of being with the team for a really long time. So I was super grateful when this job came up that, that, you know, I'm doing 95 games. So that makes it a primary position and it might not be, you know, the 140, 150 games that that other play by play primaries do. But for me, it's going to work because I get to have that time with my family at home and as a working mom, that is so important to me. Um, So this is going to be like a day to day, like check the pulse, how's everyone feeling, communicate, over communicate. Um, But we are all on board and and excited for whatever adventure lies ahead. And I know that's exactly what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, well, Jen, I know for me with, you know, four kids, uh, I live on Google calendar. So I'm oh like constantly gosh. like, you know, so the big thing is like, did you color code it? Who is that? Which one is that? I didn't call, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, you get in the weeds on this stuff right here. So,
3: oh so. my gosh. It's like shared Apple calendars with like multiple groups of people. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I like, you know, I handwrite things I'm my planner. And then we have another little, like, you know, birthdays, anniversary dates calendar. And then we have like the <laughs> that's weekly that's whiteboard cool. that I'm white writing on color-coded and then my husband for christmas got me the big app calendar can i say that on this program um and that lives in the garage and then that's color-coded so it's just like
1: oh yeah, um, yeah I, I, I got
3: I, you on the planner thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> well doug also has 12 jobs <laughs> dishes, that characters. is very
3: true he does yes, yeah. yes, you got you got I, just, I just take this
1: hot off i put it on the other one uh so, great what so what are you um uh, what are you looking forward to like just prepping for a team in this capacity, right? It's a it's kind of a different kind of off season, right? To get ready for a team in this in this role, and you know Oakland A's. You know, what are you looking forward to? How are you uh, approaching that?
3: Yeah, I think that's that's the hardest part of this job, right? Whatever the title is, is I'm switching teams, so I'm switching to an organization that has just a depth of history that's won nine championships over three cities. And let's be honest, we don't even know where that fourth city is going to end up <laughs> taking them eventually. So th- there is a lot to learn, a lot to dive into. And I'm I am well aware that I feel some days like I'm obviously drinking um, out of a fire hose, but I, I'm trying to slow down the process and um, you know take it one day at a time. I'm doing a lot of research clearly. Um, On different players, but they've had a lot of turnover and exchange as well as the Oakland A's typically do. So other broadcasters are getting to know these new players as well. And being down at spring training um, last week, I think Day one versus day four felt so different for me already. Like just getting to meet players, start to talk to them, have conversations, start to keep my notebook on things. Um, so I think it's just the build, right? And I I guess I have to rely on that. I know from game one to game one sixty-two, it's gonna be very different for me. And I have to appreciate the build and and live in it. But man, Doug, it's like I think about the A's all the time. Like we are in a deep relationship right now. <laughs> I cannot get enough of them. It's like, I'm on podcasts, I'm on conversations with people. I'm constantly on, you know, reading different articles and reading books, historical books and, um, you know, all these different things, but just taking every second to to soak it in. You,
2: you know, it's such an unusual situation to walk into. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but <laughs> your team is moving And so the fan base is somewhere between unsettled and angry. Is that the right word? So what about that makes this job different maybe than it would ordinarily
3: be? Sure, I think there's a challenge in it, right? Um there there's fans that are so passionate and loyal and I've always loved that about the Oakland days. I don't think that's anything new. I think you go back generations and decades and you can go through championship seasons or you know, losing seasons that they've had, um troubling seasons of the Coliseum where they didn't know if they were going to stay or go and then obviously, you know, fast forward to today's age, there's a there's a very passionate group that um you know it is rightfully like there there's a group that's angry and and that's understandable and there's a group that is just sad and that's understandable but to me, I was hired to do play-by-play for the games that are going on in the field. And that's what my focus is. And I feel like I've been with organizations uh, in the past, whether it was the Padres or you know we've all watched the Rockies over the last decade. There hasn't necessarily been winning baseball, but there's been really great major league players and stories that have developed out of that. And having watched the growth of those players... I would be doing a disservice to them if I wasn't focused on their growth and development on the field and how that's playing out for this team. So I'm going to try from first pitch to last pitch to keep it right there on the field, but I know, and I understand the distraction that's going on and I'm going to have to get in there and I'm going to have to feel it as well at the Coliseum to know how it's all going to play out on television. Um, But again, I I I think I understand the passion and I understand the group of fans that that you know the Oakland A's have.
2: Yeah, and you know your like your job is to try to connect sure. with those people, that yeah. fan base. And yet Absolutely. I I I think I see two forces here that are pretty much unique to the A's. And one is I you, t- you touched on this, there's been so much turnover mm-hmm. on this roster. Like I got curious in the last week or two but how many players will start this opening day who started for that team last opening day. And I can't I three right in the same spot, at least. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, because you have so much churn, you don't have that instant bond between your viewers, sure. your fans, and those players that's been right. there for many years, like a lot of teams have. And then the other part is obviously because the team is moving, I wonder if in some ways that almost places kind of a cap on the fan base's connection to the team in in another way. So I, because I'm just curious how you see those forces affecting what you're trying to do, which is to connect with those people.
3: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think those forces are very visible <laughs> and you feel them for sure. But again, I feel like, in Colorado specifically, I'm going to go back to it because that's my experience. There were some, there were some disconnects between the fans and what was happening. And, you know, there was um, the the Chris Bryant signing, there was the Nolan Arenado trade. There were things that really uh, anchored us in Colorado and yet there were still fans watching. So it, it was like, how do we, how do we pull people back in? How do we do this? And And again, it always came back to highlighting these young, exciting stars. And now that has to play out on the field. Like there has to be something to root for, right? Like a, a win or a growth of a player or something of that nature. But being able to share their stories and find a way that... You know, is it is an emotional draw of like if you can root for a person, you can absolutely root for them as a player. I believe that I've seen it time and time again over the last 17 years of covering Major League Baseball and other sports like college basketball. So I think that just has to remain the focus. There's so much noise. Right. But walking in the doors at spring training, something that was very, very obvious to me is the noise is outside. It's not inside. And I'm not just like putting on my ace cap and saying this. I'm the new kid. And I felt it right away in that clubhouse. There's a very strong like family presence and atmosphere. And there's a lot of young players and a lot of players you don't know about, but they've all been playing together at the minor league level. And now they're here and they've sprinkled in a few veterans. And it's just, it, it felt real cool in there. Like it felt like these guys had a very different idea of what Oakland A's baseball was than maybe some of the exterior voices have
1: well, I mean Jenny you have such a long-standing relationship with this game you talk about family uh your, your dad coaching along the road can you talk about the touchstones uh, about how your love for the game has evolved as well uh, I know for me like I I found a different love when I started coaching Little League for example and my my yeah. two kids at the time were playing uh how is that uh evolution happened for you Uh, what are the the points that sort of you underscore now versus when you first connected with the game
3: totally it's so funny you said that because when we were in arizona my husband flew out for a day and we just were on a hike we we always try to do camelback to like mark the start of the season Mm -hmm. in arizona and so we were on the hike and i said i'm going to ask you the question I, i ask every spring training like what what's your relationship to baseball down here now and he's like, yeah, it's just I get further and further away from my playing days. And I see the game more through your eyes and your experiences in your job. And I, it like hit me with having two young kids and, and our son, Vincent, six and a half, and he's starting to play. And I go, wow. And that's going to start evolving into how our kids see and love the game and are, you know, are playing it. And so I think that's such a cool perspective that over time, it does change and it does grow. And I think that's why it is America's pastime and it connects so many generations because it's a game that it's almost like a good book. You can read it once and a couple of years later, you read it again and you're in a different spot in your life and you find different value in the messaging in the book. And I think baseball is the same way. It's, it, it grows on you in different ways and at different times. And for me, I've always loved the game within the game, the chess match. But that's changed because the rules of the game have changed, right? <laughs> like I used to love watching Bruce Bochy go to work or Bud Black go to work <laughs> with their bullpen in the National League West. and you know, get this out and then go to the bullpen. That doesn't work (laughs) anymore because it's the three batter minimum. So as as the game and the rules have evolved, like some of the parts of the games that I love um, have changed. But I think to me, one common theme is just, it's a 162 game grind and like being able to find yourself like through weeks and months, the build of the game how you change throughout the course of the season? Something that you see for the first time, right? Baseball lends itself to like any day you get to the ballpark, you literally might see something you've never seen in the game. Vince Scully taught me that a long time ago, and I thought, man, if this guy did it for like sixty years, and saw something new. Like it'll keep you coming back. So I think that's that's where my passion for it um, has always always kind of centered.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that, that's been one of the. Uh, The forces that has actually fueled the friendship between me and Doug. We (laughs) we both have always loved that part of baseball. Yeah. Um, You you know, I just uh, did my annual spring preview survey. It ran last week in The Athletic. And one of the questions is, most anonymous team, right? And the A's win this every year. Yeah. (laughs) Every year. You know, so I I ask some of the people who who I can drag into it to play my – favorite game, name six A's. And it's hard. You know, almost nobody can do it. I'm guessing you can name 26 A's though, am I right? Uh,
3: uh, I hope I can name like 68 A's, but I can't, yeah, I'll be, be honest. I, I, I've shook 68 hands this last week, but I don't know, I can name them all. Game one, uh, they were Saturday against the Rockies, and it, it was like, you know, they have the bright gold caps for spring training. So there's like just 68 gold caps in the dugout. Like they all came out for game one and I was like, overwhelmed ah, so overwhelmed. So overwhelmed. Um, yeah, but you know, I think like that's, it, it is crazy to start from scratch. I think one thing I can always find is a common denominator. So it's like, oh, oh cool, that guy used to be on the Rockies or that guy used to be on the Padres or like, I know that guy from the NL West or, um, you know, a coach like, I know you played with so-and-so, whatever. Like, it's very hard to find a connection. I got one with Trevor Got the other day. We talked Kentucky basketball. My grandma was from Kentucky, followed Kentucky basketball my whole life, Big Blue Nation, here we go. So Trevor and I are connected on Kentucky basketball. And then outside of that, I, I was like, okay, um, let's see here. All of you were born in 1990 <laughs> or later, so that's not going to work for me. It could probably be half of your moms. Uh, <laughs> the list goes on and on, and they're going, oh, goodness. But it is fun yeah. to see, like I told Ross Stripling and Alex Wood and Scott Alexander, you know, I've watched them pitch a lot because of the National League West. And so watching them get – an opportunity, so to speak, to be back in a full-time, every fifth day starter role for at least Wood and Stripling. Um, like that is that is a huge storyline for this season. And so something exciting to follow. And then like, if you don't know Zach Geloff by now, just just memorize it, go through it, know <laughs> it, because he's going to be a star in the game. Like passes every eye test in the book, just looks like a star walks like a star, you know, mm-hmm. it is absolutely going to be. And I think for me, like he's at second base, but he has that kind of like a Troy Tulowitzki or better comp DJ LeMayhew. And you get that big body, that big build, um, you know, power numbers can be there. Just an exciting player to watch. I think defensively, all of those things. And then uh, I'll give you another name, Lawrence Butler. Like I am super excited about also a little swagger there could win a center field spot. Um, if they want to move SC Ruiz over to left field, SC Ruiz, there's a name speed 67 stolen yeah. bases last year. Let's yeah. go. Hey, so, you know, exactly. And then, <laughs> you know, Brent Rooker had an amazing year with 30 home runs. If, if his power can come back and he was, kind of one of those stories that, you know, Mark Katze pointed to at the beginning of spring training is like, look around this room. You never know how the season's going to play out, but look at this player. Cause we were all sitting here kind of wondering what was going to happen last year. And then here's what happened in 2023. So you end up getting stories like that, but I get it. I get that the names aren't floating out there. They're not on the tip of your tongue. And uh, <laughs> I'm starting to make sure they're on the tip of mine. Cause they're going to have to be every day. <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, and looking at, you mentioned 2023, just sort of digesting that past year. Uh, What did you make of like the new rules and and just sort of prepping for that, but also just as a fan, like how you saw the new rules play out?
3: Yeah. Love the pitch clock. (laughs) (laughs) I love the pitch clock. I'm all in. I wasn't certain how I would feel about the pitch clock in the late innings because I love the drama of the game and allowing the closer to build that drama, especially for a television audience. Um, but it worked out. It worked out just fine. So I did enjoy that. I liked that speed is back in the game, that the stolen base is is part of baseball again in 2023 and moving forward. Um, so I think those two rules were great. The shift thing for me is like take it or leave it. I, I didn't really care one way or another. I think left-handed hitters probably cared a lot, but <laughs> for me it was just it is what it is, you know, make an adjustment in the game. So um, that's our adjustment to watch. And, um, overall though, like I really do, even at spring training, I kind of, you forget that they shave the clock down a little bit further. And so you're looking back and like, oh, 18 seconds. That's right. 18 seconds with the runaround base. I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal for pitchers at all. They seem to be in a rhythm. And honestly, I think pitchers are developing at a faster level at the minor leagues because they've had these rules down there. Um, so it's kind of nice to see that it's just like a built-in part of the game when they come up.
2: You know, Jenny, we all know what the past looks like for women working in baseball and the media. You know, you mentioned Susan Waldman, uh, we're, we're, we're both so f- close with Claire Smith, uh, mm. Jessica Mendoza, but I'm curious what you think the future looks like for women in mm. baseball and the media.
3: Yeah, I think I think the future is bright. I mean, it's cool because I look down the minor leagues and you see women calling baseball. I did not know that was a job growing up, right? I would have probably looked closer had I had a like training ground that wasn't at the big league level uh, to do this job. So I love that there's opportunities available to get experience. Um, that I know there'll be a push of having more women doing play by play. Um, I also think I'm just going to expand your question, not just from media, but we have seen a growth in the game. Um, obviously, Kimming, when she got a general manager's job, we see Alyssa Natkin in a uniform. And by the way, Alyssa just had a baby and she's coming back and she's going to be in uniform. And it's awesome. Like all of this is awesome. It's working mom stuff. It's, it's women in sports media stuff. Um, I get to work with a good friend, Veronica Alvarez now, who's on the coaching staff um, you know, within the system for the Oakland A's and see her. Uh, there's a lot of women floating around, but I think we're going to see female umpires in this game, just like we've seen uh, referees in the NBA. I just think there's going to be representation of women in the game that will be so awesome. And it's something that really, when you start to look back, even in the last um, like seven, eight years, you can see that build happening. But again, it, it's not just like, oh, let's, th- let's throw a woman at on a major league coaching staff. There's women in the minor leagues coaching. There's a training ground to get to that big destination. So I, I am appreciative that those opportunities have opened up.
2: And, and you mentioned Vin Scully earlier. Uh, I know that you have a son who's named after <laughs> Vince Scully. <laughs> yeah. So how, has it, Dawned on you that your job description is now the same job description no, that Vince Scully had for all those years.
3: It's so crazy, right? I think I, I've called a couple games at Dodger stadium when I was filling in for Drew and yeah, you walk into the Vince Scully press box and you mm. sit in the booth that's right next to where Vin used to sit. It, it, it's like, what this is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just so excited. Right. You you look at the opportunity um, to, to be the voice of something, to share your perspective on the game, um, to be something that, you know, you're lending kind of the voice for an entire season. That's what I think is really cool about baseball is that you know, I think for a basketball game or specifically for a football game, you sit down and you're watching, right, like all three and a half hours typically. But baseball is kind of just on for some families all summer long. And like you get to be in people's households and you get to be background noise to their summer barbecue or maybe they'll you know, catch a few innings here and there. Like you really do get to be a part of their lives because they're welcoming you into their day to day routines throughout the course of the summer. And I think that's what Vin always was. I mean, he was always on everyone's radio, right? Um, and even people watching TV, Vin was on their radio because they would turn it on simultaneously because <laughs> they wanted to hear Vin and hear his stories and um, you know, just hear the lovely way he talked about a baseball game and put it all together. And I, I think he's the voice and the reason why a lot of people fell in love with the game. And so my hope is to just bring that passion back and do that in the Oakland A's market. Like the passion I have for baseball, the passion Dallas Braden has for baseball, we have the opportunity to share that every night and hopefully make that contagious to some people and bring them back into the game. And so that's a really exciting way to look at it.
2: Wow. Uh, Jenny, you're you're awesome, my friend uh, you are everyone too. I know in baseball. Oh, Oh, shucks. Thank you. And congratulations
3: Uh, (laughs) on your really big award, Jason. We're all so happy for you
2: thank you yeah so cool like you you think pretty soon i'd run out of holes, holes <laughs> of fame. no no just
3: keep checking the boxes right <laughs> yeah i don't,
2: I don't know I'm, i i think i'm a bad out but thank you this you can really yell
3: cool. bingo on your next one just yell bingo and then you can be done
2: <laughs> yeah the uh i you know, the Starkville Hall of Fame. Doug, are, yeah. are you working on that one? I'm like working
1: the, on it. Absolutely. The plaque
2: Gallery's a little light
1: right a little now. Light. A little light. Yeah, a lot of statues right now, but there are no plaques. So we're working yeah. on it. Under construction, it. right.
2: <laughs> Under construction. Uh, listen, Jenny, everyone, everyone I know in baseball is so happy for you. Uh, Thank you. So before we let you go, uh, when's your next spring broadcast?
3: Yeah, we'll be broadcasting on March 15th, the A's and the Giants game. And then we'll have an exhibition game. At the Coliseum on the twenty fifth, also A's Giants, and then opening night. I keep yeah. saying opening day, but I realized it's at night, so
1: opening night. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, listen, can't wait to hear you work your magic. Uh, thank you so much for visiting us here in Starkville, and please come back sometime.
3: Thank you. My passport has been stamped on Starkville. I'm very happy about it. <laughs>
1: yes.
2: Exactly. <laughs> all right it's that time again it's time for listener trivia our way of involving you our favorite listeners in this show and doug i hate to break it to you our trivia streak is on the line man (laughs) we've gotten at least one question right in every calendar month that we've done trivia (laughs) since the start of 2023 but Unless we can get some kind of emergency extension <laughs> to our calendar, this is our last chance to do that in February Let's to keep this thing alive. Well, it's so. leap year. It's leap year,
1: so uh, yeah. does that give us like uh, time wait, until wait. March? Doesn't, doesn't March become <laughs> okay. February?
2: Leap year is one day. We might need more than that. So like, the pressure's on is what I'm saying. I, I want to turn to you. You're a man who knows what it feels like to step to the plate with two outs in the ninth. So tell us, how should we handle this moment?
1: A lot of deep breathing, a little meditation, eye-switching techniques, uh, and then swing from your heels. Swing as hard as you can. That's (laughs)
2: That's the way Doug Glanville always did it in the pressure spots, ladies and gentlemen. So the bad news is uh, we have a really tough question on our hands this week. But the good news is I think this question does open the door for you to invoke your favorite new devious cheating scheme, Operation multiple choice. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll need that to keep this streak alive. Yes. am uh, really looking forward to seeing what you're able to negotiate. So yes. let's start the ball rolling. Let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star. It's Sean Mason. Sean, welcome to Starkville. It's your first visit here, right?
0: Yeah, it's my first visit. I'm uh, really happy. I've been listening for a while, so I absolutely love this segment.
2: Uh, I I appreciate that. and uh, You know, we always like to let our trivia guest stars introduce themselves to the rest of the population of Starkville. So why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what team you root for?
0: Uh, I'm from um, just south of Boston, Boston, Massachusetts, but I'm not a Red Sox fan. I'm a New York Mets fan, been a Mets fan my entire life. Yeah.
2: How's that going uh, in Massachusetts? (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, you know, I mean, a lot of doom (laughs) and gloom about the Red Sox around here, but, you know, I can't. Shocker. Yeah. And I, it's not like my team's doing much better right now with the Kodai Senga news. And so,
1: oh.
2: yeah, good, good point. Now, let's like over on uh, what used to be Twitter, now X, <laughs> you mostly post about food and gaming. So, how the heck did you discover us here at Starkville?
0: Um, so I've been, I'm a huge baseball guy, um, but grew up playing baseball. I've always been into baseball. Uh, I have a you know, dream to go to every stadium. So every year I try to knock a couple off. I'm up to 22 stadiums right now, but, wow. um, i have just, I consume a lot of baseball content. Um, so when I, I randomly looked up, I started watching, listening to the, the athletic podcast. The baseball show and then starkville came up and i was like oh my god i love this guy i'm familiar with uh jason you jason and i'm familiar with doug so it like and i instantly fell in love with it and i always look forward to it every week
2: well that that means a lot to us um just so you know there won't be any cooking talk here yeah. <laughs> okay well, won't be any eating but it's still still great to have you here I guess we should get this over with, Doug. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean, why don't you hit us with your questions yeah. so we can start the usual painful process of getting it wrong.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so there are currently 28 members of the 500 Home Run Club. Seven of them have never won an MVP award. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of options here. You can either do – ready? You, got, you can get seven guesses to name five of them mm. or – I can say you can take – you can try to go three for three.
2: Ooh! <laughs> All right. Well, um,
1: I, I would like the many – Think about this. I no, like th- five,
2: right, five answers puts us way above the Glanville line, which is <laughs> Doug's decree that uh, any question with more than three answers allows him to negotiate some phony number lower than five. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Doug uh, – actually, Doug and Sean, I'll, I'll get out of the way. I'll let you two negotiate how this one's going no, kind to of go. I appreciate I, well,
1: I, Sean's proposal. Well, I appreciate in advance, he was ready for the operation multiple trace. So he threw the five out of seven. So just for that alone, I'm I'm good. Throwing seven answers, five great. Yeah, I love it. We do that? Yes, I'm ready All for right, that. Let's yeah. do that. Let's okay. do it.
2: So we need to get five of seven. So we're going to throw a lot of guesses against the wall. <laughs> we'll see, see how that goes. Um, So I I do think we have a shot at this. Okay. But first, uh, let me clarify something. Now, the official MVP award came into being in, I think it was 1931, right? So I'm pretty sure Babe Ruth never won the award after that. So Sean, I just want to clarify this. Yeah. Uh, You're not using the baseball reference list that includes the previous awards that start before that, are you?
0: No, I'm not. Okay.
2: All right. So, um, I think Mm -hmm. that Babe Ruth should be one of the answers, Doug, because I'm fairly certain I'm right with you on that one. He never won an official MVP award after the baseball writers began voting on it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we're we're good with him being one answer. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, two more. I know off the top of my head, Jim Mm Tome never won an MVP. Yep. Gary Sheffield never won an MVP. Mm-hmm. So we can put them on this list. We probably should have should have gone for three for, like had to go three for three, but we didn't do that. No, yeah, we didn't do that. So it. we got to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fairly confident Mark McGuire never won one. Like uh, he, you know, 98 he hit 70 homers. Didn't win it then. Sammy Sosa won. So mm. I know he won the rookie of the year. I don't ever recall him winning MVP. Mm. I think that gives us four. So now I'm really just guessing, but did Willie McCovey ever win an MVP? Mm. I don't think he did. Uh, Eddie Murray, Um, Cal Ripken, I think, won it in 93, which is the year the Orioles won the World Series when Eddie was there. So he might be a good guess. Mm. Uh, What about Manny Ramirez? The Red Sox won the World Series twice before they shipped him out of town, but... Did Manny win an MVP in any of those years? Mm. I, I like I know he put up some crazy numbers. Yeah, That's amazing. I, he, he might, might have A-Rod days, right? you know, uh, it's kind of the uh, A-Rod at, Day. At, like at any rate, I threw a lot of good names out there for you, oh, Doug. Good. Uh, wh- what What do you think?
1: Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot to add. I mean, well, uh, well, Ralph Kiner, did he win an MVP award? Uh n- no, but I don't. Did he five hundred? Ralph Kiner hit five hundred. He didn't five hundred. He had
2: a pretty. A Short career, you just have you know, a lot of home run titles.
1: All right, well, I'm thinking of the 500 club who's in the club, like Ed Hot. <laughs> 20, 28 Mellott. guys, take a while. Yeah, Mellott.
2: Ed Ott was not Ed, no, Ott was.
1: Um,
2: yeah, I know won an MVP, though. He won MVP at least, he won at least once.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I mean, we know the usual like Bonds and Schmidt, we know that, and oh, they won MVP. Yeah. just won multiple MVPs. Mm. Uh, Miggy won an MVP. Miggy, of course. Ooh. Um, Willie Mays uh, Lee- definitely yeah. won. Uh, Ernie Lee Banks? Mays, Did yeah. Ernie, Ernie Banks win MVP? Yeah, he won back yeah, to Yeah, he won. Uh, that's a good list. Um, 500 home run. Wait, Eddie Matthews? Eddie Matthews. That's a good one. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. Hmm.
2: He might be one.
1: Yeah, you know. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Hank Aaron. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyone? Anyone else before 1931? That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> before 1931?
2: Yeah. 500 home runs was not a thing until Babe Ruth yeah. showed up. Right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. So he would have been the
1: only one, really. Oh wow. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot. I'm you know, we can own only-
2: Okay. So we're like all right, so let's let's get our guesses straight. Well, okay.
1: So Ruth, Tommy, Sheffield, Maguire. Then we have McCovey, Murray McCovey. Uh Ramirez Maddie, and Matthews. Eddie Matthews.
2: And Matthews. Those
1: were our best uh, Who are the five hundred home run sleepers who had five hundred like two? Are we missing anybody? <laughs>
2: That's not possible. <laughs> God, can't be a 500-homer sleeper. <laughs> oh, Rafael Is it
1: Ooh. Does he have 500 homers?
2: I don't. Yeah, he was 3,000 hits, 500 homers. Oh. Did he ever win an MVP? I don't think he did.
1: Oh, there you go. Why that, would he
2: win one? No way he won one.
1: Yeah, you need like a, those are sleepers, right? List. Roberto Clemente. You know, you need like people under the radar. Right, okay, he didn't, he didn't have 500. Fun. Yes, he should. All right, so Ruth,
2: Tommy, Sheffield, McGuire, McCovey.
1: Okay, Ruth, Tommy, Sheffield, McGuire, McCovey. Palmero and... Palmero,
2: right? And Matthews?
1: Matthews. And we, so, all right, so if we think through that...
2: We, just, we have to get five out of seven.
1: I know, but I, I just want to make sure. I so we're, we, we're in a good place. We don't think Eddie Murray and Ramirez, many Let's think about that, because that's at least my playing. They pl- might have. My I then. think they might have. All right.
2: I think they might have. I don't know that the other two guys did. All right, so I, 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 let's let's do this. Let's all go right. down there. All right. Let's go down that road. All right. Okay, Sean, here we go. We're going to take a shot. We're, we're going to guess Babe Ruth, Jim Tomei, Gary Sheffield, Mark McGuire, Willie McCovey, Raphael Palmeiro, and Eddie Matthews. How'd we do?
0: You got six out of seven.
2: Oh, yeah. Nice. Got
1: it. Nice
0: yeah. So that, that's, a, that's a yes. You got this right. <laughs> who do we miss? Uh, Willie McCovey did not win an MVP award. Uh, right.
1: Well, that's... Oh, we, we got all the rest. Okay. Oh, no. So I mean, that, William no, McCummy did
0: the, win an was, MVP award, I apologize. No, oh, he did? Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. So, sorry about oh. that. Okay. Um, oh, we, so oh, All right. You missed David mention... Ortiz. Yeah, you missed David Ortiz. Wasn't even mentioned. Oh,
1: wow. Oh, how did we miss After, that? Uh, yeah. That is
0: bad. You did mention uh, Manny Ramirez. He he didn't win an MVP award. You oh, mentioned okay. him, but you didn't guess him. Uh, Mel Ott did not win an MVP award.
1: Oh. What? hmm What? Oh, oh man. Wow. Sorry about
2: that, Doug. And I did not either. <laughs>
1: mm, I just <laughs> okay. sounded like a name. Well,
2: uh, at any rate, we we weren't right about all of those, but all I know is the streak is still
1: alive.
2: <laughs> Doug, if Jude DiMaggio were alive today,
1: what do you think he'd be saying about us, huh? He's like, man, that's Stark and Glanville. I, I wish I could hit like those guys. I think that's what he said. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's a direct (laughs) quote about what he would not say. (laughs) But whatever. The best news is this segment, great as it's been so far, is about to get way more entertaining. And that's because the part of it that involves us is over. (laughs) It's time to uh, bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us? Nope. Tim's muted. He's in mute land. Tim, Tim is muted. muted. We don't hear a thing. <laughs> we do not hear this man.
0: Oh, there he is. He's back. Did you mention Eddie Murray or not? I know you mentioned him. Did you guess Eddie Murray?
2: We went up not right. guessing Eddie
0: Murray. All right. Well, Eddie Murray is one of the people as well. You could have gotten that one and had another correct answer. So you were all <laughs> well, around this one. So <laughs>
1: we I, I think, considering how many
0: answers <laughs> you deserved it, sometimes I question the Doug cheating scheme. But- <laughs> But I'm in favor. That's why you should. (laughs) So as far as Eddie Murray goes, we're going to go back to 1983, a year you also mentioned when going through all the the questions, because in the World Series that year, game five, the clincher for the Orioles, Eddie Murray went deep, not once, but twice. Here's number two. And Murray drills into deep right center field again. And so Eddie Murray, all of a sudden, two for 16, and the series coming in has hit two home runs, and it's four to nothing, Orioles. Well, not only
2: did Reggie Jackson sitting next to me call the pitch, a slow slow speed, off-speed pitch, but also said that he's going to get it. Eddie hit a fastball, 3-2 yep. fastball the first time. He went to the plate looking for the breaking ball, yep. and there it went.
0: We played uh, Reggie Jackson last week, so I thought this was a nice tie-in. And now Michael's on the call. Uh, Good one.
2: Yeah, really good. And um, My recollection is that home run actually hit Eddie Murray's name and picture. Also. Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. He, got, he got it all. Uh, all right,
2: Sean. Sean tremendous question. You, uh, really made us think. So great work from you. Please go back and visit us again in Starkville, okay?
0: Hey, thanks for having me again. I'm, I'll, I'll keep submitting my questions, and, you know, if I get picked, I'll be back.
2: Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. Hey, Doug, it is spring training. I think we have mentioned that. Uh, I'm in Florida. You're not, (laughs) but (laughs) trust me, spring is happening. So naturally that was the inspiration for this week's visit to the dugout, uh, which is where we can find our friend Doug Lanville telling those beautiful stories of baseball and life that he is so well renowned for. And, um, Doug, I'm curious what the dawn of spring training made you think about this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, wow, the the feeling for spring training just has not really waned for me personally. And, um, you know, it's still a, a great experience of thinking back to the feelings I had as a kid, you know, going back and reflecting on some of what uh, what I was excited about growing up, loving the game, but also just as a player and evolving over time. Evolution is a word I use a lot with baseball because you you start off in different stages of your life. You're still enjoying the game, maybe in different ways. You're celebrating with more people. You know, my kids are now older. And, um, and you, you know, maintain the continuity that this is something I've always loved and still love. And one thing that I always look at in spring training is more and more is, there's all these guys number 95, 87, 89, 102, <laughs> the square root of 7. I mean, they have all kind of, you know, and you're kind of like, what are these guys' stories, you know? I mean, a lot of them are, you know, great college players or they um, you know, have come from long and far. And um, and I was definitely one of those guys. Uh, and so I started just thinking about, you know, you know, that moment of just getting there to the major leagues in the terms of spring training, just showing up and making the roster, or at least being a non-roster invite. And, and all those times where you just rub shoulders with people that you admired and looked up to. I remember Ron Sandberg's locker was next to mine, uh, my first Major League Spring training. And I was like, I got real serious very quickly. Like, wait a minute, I I have a chance to actually be this guy's teammate. This isn't just like, hey, you know, have a fantasy camp. And uh, it was real deal. And um, But yet it was also a fantasy. <laughs> so... Ah, uh, but just being next to him, and, of course, Randy Randall K. Myers next to me with all his grenades and things like that. With, <laughs> um, but you you it, it was so sobering and humbling. and and, uh, regardless of the fact that I might have been number seventy three, uh, that that moment still connected in a way that like I have a chance. So I kind of thought talking about the dugout could be about a lot of those stories about those players that are just fighting for just recognition, just being, in the circles to rub shoulders, knowing that maybe you planted a seed that spring that stuck with somebody, a coach, an opposing team that eventually came full circle and got you in the door. And uh, and one story I think about a lot is uh, involves Ed Lynch, who I've run into various times on the road throughout the playoffs. And keep in mind, Ed Lynch was the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. And actually at the time when uh, I was traded from the Cubs to the Phillies in 1997, Uh, But Ed Lynch and I kind of popped in and kept in touch from time to time. And one of the years, uh, you know, well actually three of the years on the roster, 94, five and six, I got sent down uh, and various people, mentors came to me and said, don't worry about it. You'll be up here. But of course it's a bad feeling to get cut. I don't care if you're number 89, you want to stay on that team. And so one year Ed Lynch sent me down and it was after a very tough time I had with my AAA manager the year before. And, you know, I think I've mentioned this at various times, but just as a reminder, you technically have 72 hours of leave if you want to take it because it's sort of like a demotion. So, you know, emotionally you
2: after you are sent. After you after, are sent yeah, down. So
1: after you're sent down, you know, you mode it. It's a demotion. So just to emotionally and mentally deal with that, you can take time to say, let me regroup. Now, it's not very customary. It's not customary that players take it or certainly not all of it because you want to get back on the field. You know, you're know you getting released or not released, but getting cut at the last week of the spring. You don't want to sit out for three days and be like, whatever, I'll show up to AAA whatever. So I decided this year in 1996 that I would take my 72 hours. <laughs> so, I took, so I met with Ed Lynch, you know, and I sat with him and, and I explained and said, you know, I had a really tough time in AAA with the manager there. I hope you have my back this time because I felt like you guys didn't have my back. But, um, you know, I just want to make sure when I go back to AAA that you'll, you know, ensure that I'm just going to get a fair shake. I'm not saying you have to hand me things. So we had that conversation. That was the first 24 hours. The last 24 hours, I went back and scheduled another meeting with (laughs) Adelaide. So... And he said, look, I know you did a great job in winter ball in Puerto Rico. We want to see you do this in a championship season. Not in Puerto Rico, not in winter ball, in the major league. We want to see you do it here in the minor leagues in a championship season. So he kept saying. And so when he saw me coming the next time, he was like, okay, we got it. We got it. I, I'm going to make sure that I have your back in AAA. And and like, these are small things because in the landscape of things, you are kind of that non-raster dude that is just hanging on and you're trying to get your opportunity and maybe nobody really knows your name except those in TNEC, New Jersey, but you have a shot. And I think that Ed Lynch, you know, knew that I was very firm and confident that, look, I think if if you make sure that I have a pathway and, uh, you know, outside of blazing it myself, I will, I'm going to be able to live up to this because I just had come from winter ball with confidence. We won a championship. I won an MVP award. I was like, okay, wait a minute. I can, I can do this. So there's so many of these players out there that are nameless, maybe in some people's circles, faceless in many circles, but they have such great stories and of perseverance, of dedication. Probably of times in their career they were dominant. They were the best high school player in the region, maybe in the state. And um, and yet they just need a moment. You know, they just need that moment. And, uh, and, and I know that when I look at it now, what's cool about the circle of, of baseball or the diamond is when you come back around now I see Ed Lynch different times and many memories, of course, you know, that moment, but also getting, you know, sent down triple A to AAA from the big leagues or whatever it is, but also his compliments of saying, you know, you had a great year, you know, you could do this. And now I see him 25 years later. And it's so cool to hear him tell that story differently than I actually remembered it. Because I kind of <laughs> felt good, like man. I was I might have been a little disrespectful or and in the end, he's like, No, I really think, you know, you didn't use profanity, you were very respectful, and I actually appreciate it because then I had the luxury of time to look back and understand what you were really saying and fighting for, and it kind of gave him a sense of like a lot of these players that may be anonymous or because Sammy Sosa is in the lineup in spring training or hitting in the batting cage, you as the rookie don't get a chance to hit, you know, whatever, those moments that kind of go by because you have your priorities as a general manager to focus on the stars and then all of a sudden there's a sky that's coming out of nowhere seemingly that wants that wants that you know really wants to be the best and so i guess this this uh dugout is just a a nod to all those incredible players that are really talented like the best in the world i don't care what your number is or what your spring training batting average is or what you hit in triple a last year these are the best in the world and uh and I think just to see their stories and understand what they have been able to persevere through um, or how they persevered is uh is a story of inspiration for all of us. And and something that we love here at Starkville is those stories we want to elevate. We love those stories uh that you know aren't always in the megaphone, but really matter to all of us. And it's one of the things we love about the game. So a nod to number eighty and higher. Good luck this spring. <laughs> And I'll see you in a major league stadium soon.
2: Yeah, Doug, that, what a great story, and and here's why: it's it's a reminder that underneath, like the headlines, are just the usual stuff, but underneath those headlines, spring training is really about real people and their their very real lives and their very real journey in baseball. Uh, And it's going on every day. Uh, So thanks, as always, for reminding us that this isn't just baseball. It's about life. And we should never forget it. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this. All spring training long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the sensational spring training coverage in The Athletic, let's tell you how to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. Uh, But also, remember, you too can be part of this very podcast. Every show, we pick a fun listener trivia question. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question. We can't get wrong. So how could you join us? Well, you can always email us at Starkville at theathletic.com. Starkville has an E on the end. Uh, You can check out my Facebook fan page. I asked for questions the other day. We got more than 20 questions on that page. Or you can do what Sean Mason did, fire those questions at us on X, which we used to know as Twitter. Doug, we used to know you as Doug Glanville. Yes. How would people find you on X?
1: Well, you can find me in a lot of places. Um, X marks the spot. Uh, But on X, or therefore Twitter, or Twitter X, X Twitter. Uh, formerly known as Twitter, uh, I am just the same guy at Doug Glanville. Doesn't change. I don't change. D o u g l a n v i l l e. Just hit me up, and it will get to me, whether through the avenues, the space, bouncing off the space station, it will arrive.
2: Doug doesn't change. His spelling doesn't change. No,
1: nope.
2: me neither. I I'm, I am at Jason St. J a y and don't forget to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jenny Kavnar for visiting us. Thanks to Sean Mason for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon.
1: Uh, Starkville. Starkville!